As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to The Athletic MBA Show. Monday through on The Athletic Podcast Network. From the Golden Gate to the New York Bay. What I have access to is a bit different than the public. Tamper with you, Welcome to Tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. Sam Payne, Anthony Slater, uh-huh. and Fred Katz. To be able to bring people together. Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation. Into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is not talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Right or wrong. Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. Very <laughs> <laughs> awkward to even talk about them. Can't even mention teams anymore. Actually, what I like to put in Kevin Durant. The trial you want with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Here's your host, Sam Amick. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I am Sam Amick, NBA National Writer at The Athletic. We got the full crew here this week. Anthony Slater out west, Fred Katz. I think back out east, Mr. Mr. Katz, is that the case? You back home? That is correct. I don't know why. All I just, right. I've given you three thumbs up in the last 30 seconds, Sam. I don't think I've ever given a thumbs up previously in my life. So. Well, I mean, <laughs> as if there's not enough whiteness on this pod. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> this is a, a visual medium. We are on YouTube these days. Make sure you subscribe. You can see Fred Katz's thumbs up. That's the exciting part of the YouTube experience. You can see you know, my disheveled morning look. Um, all kinds of incentive to get on YouTube. Also, since we are promoting, uh, make sure you're reading our fantastic coverage at The Athletic. You can get a discounted rate on athletic subscriptions at athletic.com slash athletic NBA show. All right, gentlemen, um, we just had a fun. It's always good to have good spirited podcast discussions off the air before you get to the recording part. So let's try to integrate some of that spirit into the latest tampering pod. Um, we are going to you know, come hell or high water, go down the awards route this week with tampering and and largely, probably mostly, if it, it was up to me, and this is where Fred and I kind of having fun pushing and pulling on topics uh, comes into play, is MVP focused. Um, there's a lot to talk about, in my opinion, with this MVP race that is, I think, pretty close, I think pretty interesting, and, and I think pretty great, to be honest with you, and, and we'll get into that, um, and then a handful of other awards uh but before we we dive into that i just i gotta check up 
with my guys here. You guys good? Slater, your your team is still trying to get into the playoffs. You doing okay on that front? Fred, your Talking team Warriors? is trying to be title contenders. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, not the Kings. I don't know. I don't know Kings that they're dominated. doing good on that front. Um, they have now lost three straight to start the road trip. Although people will be, they're playing the Houston Rockets on. Monday night. They better win that one in Houston. Uh, one of the few road uh, arenas they've won in this season. But no, that they've lost 11 straight on the road. So I don't know that they're doing good on that front. They have dropped into seventh in their tumbling. For some reason, I thought they were sixth. That was the genesis of the doing good. Good job, Sam. But yeah, while you're scuffling. Um, and, and Fred, your, your Knicks, you know, what do we got? Fifth in the East. This is the beat writer part of, of the program. But, but thoughts on your Knicks and, uh, and their status? They're playing great basketball. They just missed Jalen Brunson for basically six straight games. He came back for a half of one and then left, you know, hurt halfway into it. And they survived. They went three and three. And then Brunson comes back and they beat the Denver Nuggets. Uh, they're they're playing great basketball, both ends of the floor. Uh, they have great locker room vibes right now. They're they're good. I said it a couple of weeks ago on the pod. I still believe it. They could. They have a chance to win a playoff series. Season ended right now. They'd be playing Cleveland. I think that would be a great series. It'd be a really fun series. So For sure. you know, they Knicks fans are feeling good about themselves right now. They're they're all very happy. Well, natural segue there, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna get us into this MVP discussion. Like you said, your Knicks uh, took care of the Nuggets on the Garden floor. Uh, the Nuggets with one back to back MVP, Nikola Jokic. Leading the way, as always, um, have suddenly made, I do think, made this MVP race even more interesting because they've been scuffling. They've lost five out of seven games. Um, they did beat Brooklyn after losing to the Knicks. Currently 48 and 24, first in the West. And, and you know, why not, Slater? Let's go ahead and, and throw another tease in here. On the back end, maybe we'll give 90 seconds to uh, our weekly Kings segment since they keep dominating and are now second in the West, still second in the West, tied with Memphis, only four games behind the Nuggets. MVP is obviously an individual award, but we also know there is a absolute collective element to it, which is how do you lift your team? How's your team doing, broadly speaking? Um, and the Nuggets having a hard time, I think, is, you know, for anybody who might have felt pretty good about their Jokic MVP pick, you know, maybe opening that door. Um, you got Joel Embiid and Giannis Antetokounmpo, in my opinion, are, are your top three. I think there's a pretty clear delineation from there if you guys disagree feel free to jump in the no, jason the tatum crowd open. that's factual yeah but our, let's start with slater the, the, did you just did you just get up in the middle of of a of a talk from sam to close all the doors behind <laughs> you come back and then the first thing you said was the doors open <laughs> the door weren't doors this is they were like window shades <laughs> the, the, the glare was just getting me, but the doors open yeah. the shades are closed but that door is open <laughs> That was his way of saying that that you know somebody has closed the door in this maybe, argument. Maybe I was shutting the uh, shades on Nikola Jokic's three-time MVP chances. Maybe that's what <laughs> I was saying. So that's how I see it. Uh, let's start with the basics. Uh, where are you guys at if on, on the idea of us just focusing? And I'm talking about who's going to win this thing. Uh, maybe a few hat tips. What he's asking is, Fred, what do you think about the MVP debate in general? That's Fred loves asking. it. Fred's so excited. Don't don't lose listeners because Fred's want to be want to be grumpy this week. Nah, I'm grumpy. I'm just I I don't know. You guys talk about it. You guys talk about the MVP. It's so it's it's so interesting. Wow, Fred, you're going to make us carry you like we're one of these three fantastic players. I got to put my my Jokic Embiid Giannis hat on this week. 
They here's here's my my one somewhat original MVP take, and it's it's somewhat of a hot take, and I don't know what the betting odds are right now. I don't they're look at betting odds. I they're Embiid right now. I imagine Giannis is third. I would if I were if I were a better, I'd be like if the odds were enticing, I'd be like, oh, you know what, Giannis Giannis could be really interesting. Uh, that that team is probably going to end up with the best record in the league. The Nuggets have 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 fallen off a little bit lately. Philly's rising, but Milwaukee has just been absolutely on fire. And I think there are still a lot of voters who subscribe to best player on best team. And considering how close it is and considering how the public discourse has gone and considering how many times I think voters are probably second and third and fourth guessing themselves, I could just see so many of them saying, you know what? Best player on the best team. And by the way, kind of the best player in the league. I think if you like pulled the 100 voters, just who's the best player in the NBA, I think Giannis would probably win that vote. And so like, I feel like they're just going to, there are going to be a lot of voters who are going to be comfortable saying, you know what? Best player on the best team. And he is the best player in the league. So just go, just go Giannis. It's like how the third party candidate comes in and just splits the vote amongst the top two guys, you know? Like amongst the Republicans and the Democrats, and then and then it just messes everything. I feel like Giannis sure. is going to do that, but like 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 he's just going to be what Bernie Sanders always wanted. He's going to be Ralph Nader. <laughs> he's going to be really successful, Ralph Nader. Fred, for a guy who didn't want to talk about this, I got to applaud you. That was good. That was good perspective. Thank you for diving in, um, Slater. Before we get to you, and not I not a lot of people out there calling Giannis third really successful, Ralph Nader. You're right. not hearing that. Right. You're not. That was an original take. Yeah. Absolutely. He's 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 like a modern day William Jennings Bryant. You know? <laughs> Fred has jumped the shark. All right, Slater, before we get to you, I don't want to go too far down the, the stats road because that is boring for the listeners, but I do think we need a little context. Uh first, the basic stats for all three guys. Jokic, uh, as of this recording on Monday, twenty four point seven points. 11.9 rebounds, 9.9 assists, obviously uh, very close to averaging a triple-double. Um, Mr. Joel Embiid, 33.5 points, 10.2 boards, 4.2 assists uh, because he is defensively dominant. We got to add in uh, 1.7 blocks, 1.7 steals per game. Mr. Anadokounmpo, Fred's Ralph Nader, 31.3 points, 11.9. I guess you know he's not Ralph in that scenario, but you get the point. 33, 31.3 points, 11.9 boards, 5.6 assists, um, 0.8 blocks, 0.7 steals. You know, Giannis, also former defensive player of the year, defensively dominant. We'll get into this later, but I think the defensive profile distinctions between Giannis and Embiid this season are, are kind of interesting to unpack. Um, so just a little context there. Mr. Slater, what do you got? Well, in your little, you know, tidy doc that you have put together, um, you have put on here the fact that uh, you know you said key games remaining. They all play each other, right? With, with you know, right. they only have what 10, 11, 12 games left. It 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 creates an interesting head to head scenario for like you know um, if we're putting it in political terms because Fred is here. You know, it's like the final debate, right? Right. You know, like the it's, a, it's why it's a great podcast topic, Fred. 
<laughs> yes, exactly. Um, you, part of M, Embiid's case, and I didn't know he had, so he has officially, you guys said, moved up in the, or he's turned into the favorite in Vegas. I, that was the other day. I'll confirm it again right now. But but yeah, I believe he was the Vegas favorite. Well, part of that case, more than I've ever heard before, I feel like when I've he- heard some people you know, talking about the MVP is the head-to-head January twenty eighth game he had against the Nuggets. It was sure. it was I think it was either Saturday or Sunday. It was on it ABC was Saturday. weekend. Yeah, yeah. Um, he we had got Embiid, Jokic, Giannis. Rebounds, you know, Just so five you know, assists, two blocks, three steals, uh, and he kind of dominated Jokic in that game. If Philly won, it was the signature win. And more than you know, this is in the NFL where like one singular game typically stands out, right? I mean, that's one of the problems of the NBA regular season. Everything just blends together into this like. 82 game mess right but i just feel like that was kind of a statement game that has really been pinned as one of mb's like arguments right now is that he just like clearly outplayed Jokic on a you know relatively big stage they have another game coming up that feels very important well before you get let's break that down because that uh, that was part of the incentive to talk about this topic this week um saturday i don't i'm maybe assuming afternoon i didn't look at it on saturday we've got denver at home against Milwaukee. So we get Jokic versus Giannis. Then two days later on Monday, we get uh, Denver. Man, I should get to go to Denver. Denver hosting Philly. Um, so you get Jokic versus Embiid again. Uh, and then April 2nd, you get Philly at Milwaukee. So you get Joel against Giannis. And uh, I think that is the end of it. Yeah, those three games will, will I think, for sure. And the move NBA the has done a terrific job and put them on NBA TV both games. Oh, Lord, that needs to get flexed. Well, there's, I mean, you can't just suddenly put an ABC Saturday night game. Let me, or change that out. I mean, uh, maybe right. you could. Let me look. Do they even have an ABC nah, Saturday night no game? No more. No more. They're, those are done for the year with the NCAA tournament. Well, there you go, Sam. So it's not going to get the big stage, really. Well, they're going to happen and we're going to watch, and that's okay. And Sam Amick should be there. Maybe he could provide the stage. Well, it's also uh, Mrs. Amick's birthday that weekend. Probably a bad idea. Um, I Denver's think... a cool city, family trip. <laughs> uh, within all that, though, you know, let, let's here's to me one of the unique parts of this MVP race and why, Fred, you kind of hit on it before. Voters are, if we're being honest, and I've voted for years. I think you guys have too. Is that the case? What's your voting status in the past? I'm not a. I'm I'm assuming I'm not a voter this year because I wasn't a voter for All Star. I was not. I I was three the three years I was on the Wizards beat. I was a voter, but I haven't been for two. Okay. Yeah, I've voted like the past few years, and um, I voted for All Star. I don't know. I I haven't got the note. They haven't sent it out yet this year, but it's coming soon. Um, but I think what Fred hit on is very true. That sometimes when certain choices for awards are tough. And when you are trying to analyze, you know, endless tape and stats and conversations with people around the league, you try to have a good blend of perspective. You're, you are admittedly sometimes looking for something that just makes the choice easier. Right. So like the Giannis point that you made, Fred is like, well, when all else fails, best player, best team, you know, especially if he's got monster numbers, which Giannis does. Um, I also think that one of the other, you know, kind of tricks that, that has helped me in the past, or at least things that, that would matter to me is, well, let's look at a little bit of historical context. And sometimes a guy just jumps out at you like, wow, this hasn't happened since, you know, 
the 60s or the 70s, whatever. And and sometimes it's only one candidate who can check that box, if that makes sense. And what to me is unique about this particular crew is good luck deciding, you know, which who which player's historical context to care more about because it's all pretty wild. And it, it does speak to the inflation, if you will, of production in today's game and offense is booming. Uh, but regardless, let me share some of that. Uh, Mr. Jokic, as the incumbent, we're going to give him the top billing here. So 24, 11, and 9. Again, that's points, rebounds, assists. Has only been done once in the history of the game by uh, Mr. Oscar Robertson, 1961-62 season. You know, he averaged 30, 12, and 11. So I'm talking about the baseline of 24, 11, and 9. That has only been done one other time in the history of basketball. Okay, sounds amazing, right? Um, Maybe he should be the guy. All right, well, hold on a minute. Let's get to Mr. Embiid. Uh, Historical context. 33, 10, and 4 as the baselines. And this shout out to stathead.com, which is the place you you get this information. 33, 10, and 4 has been done six times before. So that sounds like, you know, not as unique, not as special. But then you get into some of the names and it's like, I'm sorry, anytime you're in the same sentence with, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Wilt Chamberlain, who did it twice. Kareem did it once. And then Elgin Baylor uh, did it uh, three times. So Kareem, Wilt, Elgin, now about to be Embiid. So that's his context. Last but not least, Giannis, baselines of 31 points, 11 boards, 5 assists. That has been done three times. Wilt twice, Elgin once. Same logic you apply to, to the Embiid situation. You know, those are... Titans of the game, and if you're uh, if you're showing up on Stathead with them, you're doing something right. But it's not the difference maker, right? Like, how I mean, how does that come into play for you guys, if at all? You know, stats to me, this like it just feels like the steroid era in some ways with these offensive stats and stats in general. That like, I mean, it's obviously kind of a prerequisite that these guys have to have insane numbers. But I just, and this is not an MVP thing, you know. I guess, take that I'm having. I just mean, you know, I don't know. Like, guys are just like, oh, this guy's got 60 tonight. This guy's got 50. Like, all the, the numbers are just, have just gone insane in a lot of ways. And, I hear and I mean, you, but we can't, just, we, we can't just say numbers are not part of it anymore. I mean, I well, definitely I would just say you. this. All three of them have good enough stats that, like, I, that I don't think it's a statistic that's going to necessarily sway me. Like, oh, wow, Fair. this guy's point total is a little bit more here. That's why I'm going to him. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I think yeah, they yeah. all could be like, look at my stat case. I have at least an argument for MVP. And then I think you dive into other stuff. Supporting cast, how good is the team? How generally good do we think the players value defense? Some of the other stuff um, to where I, I just, I don't know about you guys, but I'm not deciding based on, you know, one guy's stat profile compared to the other. I don't think, because I just think they all have great ones in an era where everybody has great stats, essentially. Yeah, I, I, I'm all for evaluating guys' numbers and all of that, but I'm I'm with you. Like the historical context, I'm like, I, if it, it's got a little bit Brady Anderson fifty home runs vibes, you know, like oh Albert Bell hit three fifty with forty nine homers. That's only been done four times before, and then you look at it's done nine hundred times in the next five years. You know? But see, Fred, like this I'm, is I'm gonna jump in real fast. This is why people get pissed off and think that we change the rules on MVP voting because when Russell Westbrook won it, which I did vote for Russ. Because he went crazy late in the season, he beat Denver with that half court shot, and you know there was other stuff beyond the stats. But like when Russ won it, what was the the main foundation of his case? He averaged it was history. Double. And okay, okay, wait, voter, wait, 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 Slater, let me respond to that. Yeah, 
Of course we change the rules. When you're presented with new evidence, you don't stubbornly stick to the same thing that you were thinking before. You adjust your opinion based on the new evidence. So of course we change. There are no rules, but of course we change our opinions when new evidence presents ourselves. When we see, okay, everyone is doing this now, we can't use historical precedence as the same sort Everyone's of Everyone's averaging a triple-double now? Well, Sam- Everyone's putting up crazy numbers yeah, now. Right. Is what I'm saying. Th- it's mean, just hard to use care, historical precedent. Sam, do you care as much about Jokic's averaging? There are 45 guys Westbrook? averaging. There are 45 guys averaging 20 points a game. Well, sure, yeah. I mean, that's not a baseline that is well, part of the Even the triple-double one. I mean, you're right, Sam. That was like for a month and a half was like the story of the league, right? Can he do it? Like, uh, Do I care about him? It's not well, nearly the singular... Uh, factor feet. that it not singular, but like close to singular feet. factor. It was generally like being followed, like it was LeBron, like passing for sure. Kareem. I mean, I think you have. I think it would. I would call it an appreciation for the uniqueness of the fact that it's a big man doing it. I mean, that's wild. And and this even goes. I mean, now this is way down the line in the conversation, but over the weekend, you know, the Kings are winning games, right? And all of a sudden, there's this uptick, and should Sabonis get some MVP consideration? Like a top five guy, really is. Is should he be in the top five? That that development within the league of bigs like Jokic and Sabonis running their offenses and being the fulcrum in the kind of way that they are, and then Jokic doing it to an almost triple-double level is wildly impressive to me. Now, there's more to unpack here, too. I voted for Jokic the last two years, and, and it's funny, shameless plug here, I have at least one a week. We have an MVP roundtable with myself, Will Guillory, uh, Tony Jones, and Chris Kirshner on our site later in the week talking about MVP criteria, right? And in that discussion, I admit that, like, yes, like when you vote twice for a guy who wins it back to back and and you're faced with the prospect of giving him a third straight one, then you do that does matter to me. It's not supposed to matter. I don't mind admitting that it does. And so part of what you're hitting on is, you know, like, is him nearly averaging a triple double the game changing decision making factor in this particular race? No, but. I don't, I'm definitely not swinging it the other way where we're throwing historical context and stats almost completely out the window. Uh, would you agree with the, that, I mean, you laid out the stat profile for the, the three guys that are really up for the award. None of them really separate through stats, I don't think. Like Westbrook's no, I argument think that year was like, look at this insane thing that all, I've done. We, maybe we go down this road. I think the, the two-way player part of this discussion and does matter a lot to me. And as great as Jokic was the last, I still feel fine about the choice of the last couple of years. This particular year, you know, last year, I mean, let, let's look at Embiid real quick. It's funny. Last Folks who think he should have won it last year, one of the things that drove me crazy about Joel's candidacy last year was that, yes, he's a defensively dominant player, um, but when that's going to be a box that you check and that is going to help you win MVP – I, and I know this is it's not that this easy, but I would like to see your team be top 10 in defensive rating. And that was not the case. Philly was 12th last year. Denver was 15th. And the idea that these two individually individual players with such a huge discrepancy in defensive ability between Jokic and Embiid, you know, that their teams collectively were only three spots apart in defensive rating, like I thought it, it, it helped Jokic's case. Now this year, I see that part of it differently. So no, like the stats and the separations are coming from different areas. And so I'm trying to grab this number. I mean, the Bucks, 
Let's talk defense. Bucks are third in defensive rating right now. You cannot give all of that to Giannis Antetokounmpo. Brooke Lopez is a monster. Drew Holiday is a monster. But regardless, they are third in defensive rating. Philly, like I said, who was 12th last year, is seventh in defensive rating. That's a, a marked improvement and I think helps Joel's case quite a bit. Um, Denver, meanwhile, is, is 17th. So now you're talking about the Sixers, uh, to finish that point about last year versus this year. You know, last year, Sixers, Nuggets, three spots apart in defensive rating. This year, 10 spots apart. I think that well helps uh, Joel quite a bit. It was a yeah. long answer to your question, but those are, to me, yeah. are some of no, the things I'm, that I mean, yeah, now we're talking team stats, and obviously records matter. That's a stat, right? Just wins, losses for a team. So um, I agree. Like, I when you brought – I just mean just, you know, when we were just talking points, rebounds, assists, essentially. But, yeah, no, I mean – um, you're, you're building out a, f- a further case. Do you want to well, talk defense? I mean, what's interesting about Embiid, right? When we talked about Embiid in the in past years, a lot of times, at least two seasons ago, it was like, well, Ben Simmons is like defensive. Didn't Ben Simmons t- was it two seasons ago? He was second behind Gobert in Defensive Player of the Year. Yeah, yeah. And then well, last yeah. year, I mean, last year you had the competing narratives with Embiid and Jokic. So Joel plays most of the year without Ben Simmons and his whole saga. Uh, Joker, obviously, no Jamal Murray, no Michael Porter Jr., and, you know, and then Joel on the back end gets James Harden after that trade. But, but yeah, I mean, you know, yes, he was down a, a an elite defender for most of last season. Yeah, and I and their third in defense, Embiid has the Sixers third in defense with who's their with James Harden defender, and like? their starting five. I mean, that's and you know a yeah. lot of Tyrese Maxey, who as good as right. he is, he's one of those like kind of score first, don't really defend that well shooting guards. I mean, you know, Melton off the bench helps. P.J. Tucker just kind of helps with environment and, and shouldering some of the interior uh, load. But, I mean, that's Embiid. That rating is Joel Embiid, right? Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think you made this point earlier when the Sixers and Nuggets had that Saturday afternoon game. This is what I do love about the discussion and the process of making these decisions is it's it's stats and numbers versus tape and the eyeball test, the old school scout gut type of thing well you watch that game and you you know like you might have talked yourself into Jokic he is he is a capable defender and the Nuggets have been able for a lot of his tenure to have decent defensive performances as a group in spite of some of his defensive limitations but you watch that game on Saturday afternoon and you put all the other noise away and you just see one guy dominate the other and Embiid I think in terms of the optics and confirming some of the, you know, the suspicions and things we already knew, uh, you know, I thought that was a big day. And and just like these games coming up could be moments as well. But, you know, that is where you you kind of have to come to grips with the fact that, like, yeah, when it comes to just stopping your man, you know, it's, especially when you're facing a guy like Embiid, Jokic is not that guy. Fred, the Nuggets have lost, you know, I, th- I believe they actually cracked the, the losing streak, but they are going through their roughest patch of the season. That included the loss you mentioned to the Knicks. Um, what did you see in that game? Because, I mean, you know, Jokic, I believe, had six turnovers. Their defense has just team-wide has been an issue during this kind of losing patch. Uh, what did you see in that game? You know, I actually thought they played pretty well against the Knicks. I thought they played The Knicks are just game. that just dominant. Thought- the Knicks played a really good game too. They played a really good game too. I mean, they they blitzed Jokic for a good amount of that game and and it worked well. I mean, that's a strategy that can really come back to bite you if Jokic is just gonna spray. Slater it all over has the seen this before. And, yeah. 
yes, get 15 assists or something. It could really hurt you. But they 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 guarded really well once Jokic passed out of that. And the Nuggets missed some shots. I mean, the concern for me right now is is similar to to other people, which is first of all, defensively, they're flawed. They're they're middle of the pack defensively, which is not a huge problem in the regular season, but come the playoffs, you know, they they can be exploited. Their starting line and the other one is that their starting lineup is really, really, really good and continues to be really, really, really good. Basically, when they have Contavious Caldwell Pope out there, they can guard okay. And especially Aaron Gordon, they can guard okay. But their bench lineups get killed. You mean the the greatest Jokic MVP argument is similar, in my opinion, is that they're like 27 points per 100 possessions better when he's on the floor, which is obscene. Like, you know, when he won the last two years, one major reason why and one of the big arguments for him was how much better the Nuggets were when he was on the floor and how much he carried them. And his on-offs this year just blow the last two years out of the water. But, I mean, part of the reason they lose that game is because they're a plus when Jokic is on the floor. And they got really killed by the Knicks bench, which is really good and plays at a really high pace. Uh, and and that's something that, that concerns me about them, too. So I'm I'm. They're not, they're very good. I don't think they, I think this five out of seven is going to be more of a blip than anything else. Every year we see a really good team just kind of fall off in March and it doesn't really end up mattering that much. And I think that's what will end up happening here. But like they are destructible. Like they're, they, they, they could lose to Phoenix. They could lose to Memphis. They could, they could lose to a number of teams in the playoffs, I think. Fred, that um in that Knicks game, which I did watch pretty closely, that you know, it was wild. They had the Nuggets had roughly, I think, 32 points about 16 minutes into play, about four minutes into the second quarter. And I'm sitting there doing a few things around the house, washing dishes and ha- got the game on in the background, get a little bit distracted, look up, and they got damn near 70 points going into the half. And I sat there with, what the hell just happened? Let me, you know, yeah. shout out League Pass. They nice made, job. You they made 13 rewind. out of 14 shots. Yeah. So I rewound it and and just tried to, to appreciate it from an offensive standpoint. Like, what are we seeing here? And they obviously got just scorching hot from the field. But, man, Jokic, and, and all of them, but Jokic setting the tone. Like, Jokic and his pace during those eight minutes, I thought, was so much fun to watch. Because, you know, we know, again, the optics of, of what, you know, kind of how he presents physically. He's a big dude. He's gotten a little smaller, but he's still a big fella, and he's not chiseled like so many guys in the league. But he's pushing the pace, uh, fifth gear for those final eight minutes of that second quarter, and making a clear de- decision to just try to run it down the Knicks' throats. And it's it's just like lightning quick decision making. They're either getting something in transition or getting something on the secondary break, but finding shooters, you know, knocking shots down. I mean, it showed how explosive they can be. Obviously hard to play at that pace and that level for the entirety of the game. But, you know, it was a little window, not not a little window, a, a big time window in how dynamic they can be. And then, you know, like you said, then you put a bench unit in there and they fall apart and it goes the other way. Well, they're unbelievable on the secondary break because you look at most guys and how most teams approach mismatches, which is all right, let's have somebody set a screen for someone force the other team to switch. And then you give it to that guy, you give it to that big who's now guarded by a small, or you give it to that small who's now guarded by a big, and he's going to exploit the quickness advantage or the size advantage or whatever it is. And often they try to do it with one-on-one play. And Jokic is amazing at just identifying a mismatch elsewhere and finding a way to take advantage of that. Like 
every bit, it's why his passing game is so much more important than the 9.9 assists that he averages. Like he is, like it was ridiculous when Kendrick Perkins called him a stab patter. Like it was, it was absurd. I mean, he is, he is always looking for that sort of right way. And then you get finding it. You like learn things about offense when you watch him try to exploit a mismatch that's somewhere else on the floor. And obviously they cut so well around him and space so well around him. Their issue is not really the starters. They're, the issue is they get killed when Jokic isn't there, and it's concerning. It is. It is. Uh, before we move on, to, I want to unpack some Giannis and Bucks and defense stuff. Um, we got to mention, I mean, some voters and fans, I think, hate this part, but it is definitely part of the Jokic profile, and it deserves a hat tip. Um, when you just talk about efficiency, which, again, people hear efficiency and they equate it to, you know, for some reason to analytics and high-end stats. And I mean, it, it's not real complicated, folks. Like, it's definitely better to make more shots than you miss and to be efficient with the ones that you actually take. Um, he is having, in no uncertain terms, the most efficient, high-volume, you know, scoring season uh, in league history. Uh, this is among players who have averaged at least 20 points, uh, 70.3 true shooting percentage, which takes into account twos and threes and free throws. Uh, up in terms of context of his MVP seasons. So 73, 70.3 this season. Last year was 66.1. His first MVP year was 64.7. So big time spike in efficiency. And he's obviously made a choice to to lean into his playmaking. Um, you know, but that part has to get mentioned. Uh, as we keep unpacking the different kind of candidacies, I mean, the Giannis thing is interesting, I think, to to unpack because when you see a guy who's a former defensive player of the year whose team is elite defensively, like I said earlier, third in defensive rating, you know, the quick glance approach to it says, all right, well, that's got to be him. Um, you know, he's got a ton of help on that end, and they are dominant as a group. He's part of that. He's almost that that cornerback in football. That, And I actually talked to Brooke Lopez about this the other day. Like, you know, teams don't want to test Giannis, and so they stay away from him. Well, well, that's not too great because you run into a guy named Brooke Lopez. Um, but, but how do you see – the defensive side of the ball <clears throat> when it comes to Giannis's uh, candidacy here. The key. I, he's been unbelievable defensively. I, I think he's been amazing. I, I think the Bucks. well, the Bucks are the best defensive team in the league. They have a chance to have three guys on first team all defense with him and, and Drew Holiday and, and Brooke Lopez, who's been amazing, especially protecting the rim this year. With Giannis, he's just so unbelievable in the way that they use him on the weak side his ability to block shots, but also recover out to shooters. He's so valuable off the ball. And then you look at the rim protection that Milwaukee has, where like Brooke Lopez has been probably the best rim protector in the Eastern Conference this year, him or like Jared Allen, right? And and you look at the advanced numbers, and it's like both Giannis and Brooke Lopez, I believe, are top 10 in the league in, uh, you know, amongst qualifying the 100, 110 qualifying guys in terms of uh, percentage around the rim on layups and dunks that they can test, uh, just not giving up anything at the rim. So it's not just shot blocking. Uh, Giannis is, I think Giannis is having the best defensive season of the three, Uh, obviously higher than Jokic. And and Embiid might have the highest defensive ceiling. I'm willing to buy that, but there are just too many plays, too many quarters that I watch. And I'm like, okay, Embiid wasn't all the way in that one. He wasn't in a defensive stance that whole quarter. You know, he didn't he didn't make that extra step to help. And and Giannis is just always on defensively. He doesn't really he plays defense like a role player almost. And, and I think he's having the best defensive season 
of the three of those guys. And it's, it's, it's a good part of his argument. It really is. Good stuff, guys. Um, and Fred, you kind of just perfectly captured why this stuff is so nuanced and tricky. Like you basically just said, this is why the tape says one thing and the numbers say another. Um, you know, and there's not a right answer there, but that's good perspective. Uh, all right, gentlemen, we'll be back on the other side of the break to uh, to keep this conversation going. We'll be right back. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Discover the latest collections from David Yerman, as seen recently, styled on basketball stars like Jaime Jaquez, Jalen Green, D'Angelo Russell, and others. David Yerman is a celebrated American jewelry company inspired by the beauty of art, architecture, and the natural world. The story of David Yerman begins in New York City with David, a sculptor, and his wife, Sybil, a painter and ceramicist. When the artists began collaborating, their goal was to simply make beautiful design objects to wear. Over 40 years later, the Yermans and their son, Evan, continue to redefine American luxury jewelry with timeless, modern collections for women and men defined by inspiration, innovation, consummate craftsmanship, and Cable, the brand's artistic signature. David Yerman's collections are available on davidyerman.com. All right, gents, we are back. Uh, before we jump off the MVP discussion that I enjoyed and appreciated, Fred, thank you for indulging me today. It's very much, very kind of you. Uh, we need I should have, good old I should, I should have sent you a Lakers fine for that. Not going <laughs> uh, we need quick picks before on the MVP front. Uh, if you had to pick today, do, do you have any clarity of, of who – that guy would be uh, who you think is the MVP. Slater, you first. Gosh, it really does feel toss-up-y going into the last couple of weeks. Toss-up-y, um, that's a good word. I don't know. I'm I'm feeling Joel Embiid a little bit this uh, this fine morning. How about you two? All right. Slater's following Vegas. Cats, what do you got? It's not, not a bad I'm idea s- to follow Vegas, by the way. 
I'm I'm so not confident in 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 my feeling right now, but I I I think Giannis. I think the defense separates it for me. Even though he he's played the fewest. Do you minutes, think he's actually having tough. a better defensive season than Embiid? Though I mean, I know you kind of just made that argument before the break, but like I just like he's <laughs> later. Do you believe what you just said? Yeah, well, yeah, I, mean, I totally Embiid believe it. That's why I said a, an excellent defensive season. Yeah, yeah. I'm not demeaning Joel Embiid's defense. He's a you great also mentioned that player. you know you got Drew Holiday locking yeah, up perimeter yeah. dudes. You got Brooke Lopez swatting everything in the back end. Like at least defensive responsibilities, defensive value, most valuable. You could argue, particularly on the defensive end, Embiid's value is higher. And it That's is true. so hard you, to. You could argue that, and if if the Bucks were like sixth in defense with that talent, I would probably subscribe to that more. But they're first. They're and not. They're third. Why do you keep saying they're, they're first? Why do I keep saying they're first? They're third. Yeah. Who's first? Cleveland is first. Cleveland and Memphis. And Memphis is second. I let that and slide before. Philly? I can't keep, let that slide again. Yeah. They, you yeah. know, call me out. Why'd you let yeah. me slide, bro? Why'd you let Because you were on a roll, man. You're on a roll. Eh, well, they were in first for a long time, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, either, um, either way, I'm. It, it's a fair argument, Slater. It's, a it's fair third argument. versus I, seventh in defensive I, well, rating. Yeah, yeah, I it's a it's a totally fair argument. I I have nothing bad to say about Joel Embiid. He's having an incredible season. I uh, I don't know who the hell I'm going to vote for. Uh, I've been on Giannis. I wrote that a couple weeks ago, um, and could might still be there, but but Embiid might also be the guy for me right now. I I don't think I I am. You know, this is one where I feel like when when the league and the basketball gods give us two out of three candidates who who are dominant offensively but but also do special things on the other end um you know that that part has got to be part of this game you know what i mean this it really is an is. important moment fred you're hearing a voter of a very prominent voter oh y'all right are letting this is like Luke, professional Luke, therapy kind you're of letting me swat away the nikola Jokic mvp train i think this could tell you a little bit about what the way the wind is moving i mean it it seems to be moving away from nikola Jokic. well you know you lose five out of seven things are gonna move a little bit yeah and well you know what the before. votes the votes don't go in for like two and a half weeks. Right. So. Again, these games Yo, coming up are going to be fun. Hey, All right. You, uh, mentioned, you mentioned Westbrook, Sam. The year that Westbrook won, I always felt like the day that Westbrook won the MVP was in April, which is that game he had in Denver. Denver, he yeah, went yeah. To, he went for 50 points, and he broke the season, season uh, single-season triple-double record and hit a game-winner, game-winning 30-footer at the buzzer and, uh, you know, he, he yeah, he he beat up the Nuggets so bad that he eliminated them from the playoffs with that shot, and then got a standing ovation from the Denver crowd. Right, that was that was that was how much he. That's beat what him up. does I drive felt me. Like that was the moment. Like as much as as much as it's it's silly to have moments, you really really shouldn't. It's just the way it works. It does. There are a lot of voters who vote on those moments. That there makes me so sad that you just moments. said that. Why why is it, why should there not be moments? What are we doing this for? Like why should there not be moments? It well, does there could matter. Be moments memorialized in history, but but that's not more important than something that happened in January just because we saw it recently. You well, sure, that element moment. It does. I mean, like time and place does matter, and opponent does matter, and and brightness of spotlight does matter. You know, just if you spend the entire year beating up on Houston and Charlotte and you know whoever else, and that's that's when you're at your best, but you fall short. When you're looking at the guys who you might, you know, be contending with for these types of awards, I think that matters. Um, all right, we we might have lost the non MVP crowd a long time ago, but let's go ahead and pivot here, and uh, and and get into some of these 
other awards. Um, Mr. Slater, I'm going to throw it to you because I think we're going to talk coach of the year. Uh, we're not going to get to all the awards. We're going to do some, uh, have a good robust discussion. This one is Fred kind of alluded to, uh, off air in the break. Another great excuse to talk about Sacramento Kings basketball, which at this point in the season, uh, mid-March is definitely not something I thought we would be doing when we went into this year. Mike Brown has done a, a fantastic job um, and now does feel like he's becoming, you know, beyond a front runner, like a, you know, kind of a way out in front top candidate. Runaway the favorite. The year. There you go. Runaway point. favorite. It's not With not much time for anybody to crack into the case. Um, yeah, I'm he's so he's road. so good that he's out here campaigning for everybody else on his team. By the way, he's trying to get Sabonis MVP love, trying to get Foxy some love. You know, there, that's he's when he's on know. an all MV or an all NBA hype. He's like they had him pregame the other day doing an NBA TV video. You know how when you know we all have done NBA TV hits where you go into the whatever arena, you go into some little like dungeon area and do. Yep, uh, yep, yep. You know, the interview behind some banners. I did one earlier this year. Gosh, why can't I remember what? I was in Philadelphia. I was in like the, the towel room, and the, the mascot team was coming in to like discuss their <laughs> thing. And I'm like, uh, I'm actually on NBA TV right now. Uh-oh. And they but anyway, no they had Mike Brown in one of those. I believe it was in D.C., like campaigning on NBA TV for Fox and Sabonis to do all uh, NBA. So he's really doing everything. This is more of an argument for him for Coach of the Year. Uh, look, they're on a uh, four-game East Coast road trip right now. They're 3-0 and as of right now. They play tonight in Utah, so people will know if they went 3-1 and or 4-0. and Either way, uh, it is a very good road trip, and I believe they are. Let me look at right now. They're 22-13 and on the road. There is uh, the Clippers are the next best in the entire Western Conference at 19 and 18. They're the one team in the entire conference that actually is translating what they do. You know, everyone talks about their incredible home crowd. Like they, they've been almost like equally impressive or more impressive if you consider context on the road. Uh, and I think one of the things Mike Brown has done in the last month or so, really since the All Star break, where they're the best team in the West, is. Um, find different ways to win. Herder gets hurt the other day. Uh, he's starting Kessler Edwards. He's found a way to like try to fit some wing defense in with Kessler Edwards, who was out of the rotation. They had that win in Brooklyn where uh, I believe the Nets got no fast break points and like no second chance points, something like that. Um, By the way, just to finish your point, they they are tied. Oh shoot, no, they're they're second. The Celtics have twenty three road wins, and the Kings are tied with a, a handful of other teams for second most road wins in the NBA. Yeah, that's you know we talk the team I cover has seven right. basically. Right. Um, so I, I mean, I just I do like the creative ways they're finding to win games. To me, it, it it speaks well to what they can maybe be from a versatility standpoint in the playoffs. They have it hasn't just been lately like hey we're gonna outscore you one forty five one thirty five yeah. every single game. So that matters as far as coach of the year goes. He's gonna win it. I think that's become pretty clear. Who would you guys say is like? And let's say, I mean, Sam, you may want to continue on some King stuff quick, but like, who's next? Um, I think Joe Mazzulla is going to get some love. You know, if you go back to the Ime Udoka, yeah, they've, but they're still third in the East and, and, you know, they're only two and a half, you know, back of the Bucks for best record in the NBA. So they're struggling in the context of where they've been. Yes, they're looking at it here. They are uh, 500 in their last 10. Um, so, but to me, Joe was in that discussion. Um, you know, I am looking at the list here. I mean, I, Michael Malone should get some love. I think, you know, they're, they, they've until recently done what they're supposed to do when you get Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. back. But, you know, 
coach of the year, maybe tell me if you guys disagree. It, it might be, you know, it's more of a narrative dependent award than even the others, I think at times. And, you know, the King's narrative, uh, it's fine. I argued this with a colleague recently who I could not disagree with more about the idea. And I'm just going to, I'm going to put him on blast. It's our guy, Sean Cunningham, longtime Sacramento TV man. And, and one of the best voices in that market for, uh, you know, a very long time. Sean had the opinion that this year is all that matters with something like coach of the year with coach of the year. I don't agree. Like you, you have to take into account that the Sacramento Kings had gone 16 consecutive seasons without making the playoffs because for coaching purposes and culture and all the things that a coach has to do, that's the culture you came into. That's the environment that you came into. And let me tell you as somebody who lives here, that the negativity that comes with that was toxic. And it's like a very human thing. Like Mike Brown had to come into that building and and now listen, it, it had shifted a bit in the past couple of years. They had made some changes where some things got inched in the right direction. So I get that. But the context of the Kings being the Kings for so long, and then not only being on the verge of breaking the playoff drought, but getting home court advantage in the playoffs, like that is wild. And to me is why he's for sure the guy. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Also, a couple, we mentioned guys who could get that. I mean, it's obviously Mike Brown. It, it's... I, I, they should just Vegas. Is this your OKC segment, Fred? Are we going to the OKC segment? Well, actually, I was going to say Eric Spolstra. I think is another okay. one who yeah. who has a nice argument. You know, Miami has has a negative um, a negative net rating. They've been amazing in close games, and honestly, kind of I similar mean, logic seventh in the East. Yeah, yeah, but there like, just aren't that many candidates, right? And I feel kind of similar logic with Thibodeau's probably uh, second best, right? Yeah, Tibbs, man, that's Tibbs all right. Chance too. We should have. That's that's a major omission on my part. I should have been having Tib, Tibbs. Tibbs has a chance too. And, we talked and about Sam, Tibbs like a month ago. It, Mark, since you said it, Mark Mark Dagnall, no KC. I mean, yeah. you know they. We we you talked about how it's a narrative award. The award always seems to go to the coach of the team that defied expectations the most, and in this case, that is Mike Brown. But Mike Brown has also done an unbelievable job this year. There's no debating against that. Um, OKC has maybe defied expectations the second most, so I bet you he's going to show up. I feel up like on your Knicks ballots. have though. No, Knicks have. Knicks definitely have. I mean, I think Tibbs is going to be on ballots too for sure. I agree. Yeah, I think Tibbs. Uh, like I said, we talked about it like a month ago. I thought he was the guy. I think Tibbs will get votes, and he should. Um, Isn't it amazing how with Tibbs how everybody is either collectively totally out on him or is throwing him on coach of the year ballots. And there doesn't ever seem to be an in-between this year. People you know, are totally early out. Yeah, sure. They started 10 and 13 and, and Oh yeah. We I, thought he was in trouble. Was his, Hot yeah, seat talk. exactly. Yeah. Is Tibbs going to be yeah. out now? Now they've totally turned it around. They've been one of the best teams in the league since early December. Uh, they are playing well on both sides of the ball. They're beating good teams. They're, they're objectively well coached. Like everyone on that team plays a great role and stays within their role. And they have a really analytically friendly shot profile and they play crazy hard. They just play harder than every other team. Uh, and, and earlier this year, people had him out last year. People had him out over the summer. People had him out. And it's his year before third that, year, he won Fred. coach of the year. Yeah. I know, but this is what that, I love about yeah, I think I'm going Brown, Tibbs, one, two, for sure, um, unless something drastically changes. But this is his third year, and that's what I love about this. This is like, you know, hosting a party and that one guest that you don't really enjoy who who always, you know, tells the worst stories and you wish they would leave. Like, out of nowhere, 
that dude just starts dropping just great punchlines and you're loving life. Like Tibbs in his third year, inspiring his team is not something we've seen for a while. In Minnesota, he wore out his welcome. In Chicago, it was a little longer than that, but he wore out his welcome. And I give him credit. I don't know how he's done it, but he's got that group playing at this level. And that is, you talk about narratives, that runs counter to the Tom Thibodeau narrative. Well, I'll tell you one way that he's done it is the organization has made a very conscious decision to acquire Tibbs-like players, Tibbs-appropriate players. Jimmy Butler's Uh, of the world. The Jimmy Butler's of the world. Quentin Grimes is a Tibbs player. His he 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 is in the practice facility all the time, and he works like crazy, and he's tough. Uh, Qu- uh, Emmanuel quickly is a Tibbs player. They trade for Josh Hart. He's a Tibbs player. Jalen Brunson signed with the Knicks in part because he wanted to play for Tibbs because his dad played for Tibbs when Tibbs was an assistant coach with the Knicks in the nineties. And he's known Tibbs since he was like five years old and he wanted to play for Tibbs. Meanwhile, when Brunson gets hurt in a game against Miami a couple of weeks ago, he rolls his ankle so badly that he's on the ground uh, when his team, when he's playing defense, the Knicks go back, play offense four on five. Miami gets a takeaway. Jimmy Butler, I believe it was, comes flying back down the other way on a fast break. And Brunson is still on the floor under the basket. He hobbles up. It, this is he hobbles up after rolling his ankle. Can't really walk. Had to leave the game after this and just kind of limps all gimpy outside of the restricted area and tries to take a charge on the fast break. And it's like, these dudes just just play this Tibbsy sort of way naturally. And and don't get me wrong, I'm sure there are moments with guys on that team where they just they feel like it's a little bit too much. And that was the case, obviously, with like Cam Reddish, who's no longer there. But a lot of these guys are just like, this is in the personality of of how they play. You Fred, know? Can I ask you something though? So he won yep. coach of the year a couple of years ago, right? Two years ago? Over Monty yeah. Williams when the uh, Suns ended up going to the finals. Um, and then they lost in the first round. And what if they lose in the first round this year? Does does the heat get turned back up? Is is he in any danger? Because, you know, his, some of the historical reputation of Tom Thibodeau is maximize what you can be in the regular season. And you kind of maybe flame out in the playoffs because, you know, part of it is because other teams start scouting and caring as much as your team does uh, on a nightly basis. Uh, what happens if they disappoint? Like how, what, how big are the stakes in round one? I should say. I think it probably depends on how it happens. Uh, if if they go the first round or they play Cleveland and they get totally overwhelmed and they get swept and they look horrible, then I'm not going to say that's not possible. That obviously is possible. Uh, if they play a really hard fought series against Cleveland and they just kind of lose to the better team, then I would say probably not. I get the sense that the organization is is pretty encouraged by what's going on with this group. And remember, they're they're good. They're 42 and 30. Heading into tonight's game against Minnesota, uh, they are they are good, but they're not just good. They're in a good spot for the future, right? Like they've got all of their own draft picks. They've got four draft picks from other teams. They're they've got midsize contracts. Like you know, they're they're in a position to trade for a star. And and I was critical of their strategy earlier in the year for wanting to trade for the first star in the door. Uh, but the thing is, I you know I, at the time they were two stars away and. We didn't realize on the outside, 
J- Jalen Brunson was kind of going to be that guy, and Julius Randle was going to recover his caliber of play in a more sustainable way from when he made All-NBA a couple of years ago, and he's doing it with a revised shot profile and uh, really playing totally different stylistically, more off the ball with Jalen Brunson there, and it does feel like when you watch them, like, okay, they are a star away. So, uh, you know, anything can happen depending on how that loss would go in the first round if it were to happen, but but I, I, I would say they have good vibes in that organization right now. I think from the locker room up to the front office, they're pretty encouraged by what's going on. Before we uh, we pivot to the last one, we're going to do most improved player in a moment and let Slater lead that conversation. Isn't it funny? Again, this is why the fans, I think, we do drive them crazy with how the rules are kind of different on different awards. And I think you guys will agree, you know, coach of the year and, and Slater, the way you kind of framed the Thibodeau discussion, kind of what struck me about that is that you know, when voters, media members go to decide who the coach of the year is, you don't hear a lot about how, well, I'm not as comfortable voting for Tibbs because he hasn't proven himself in the playoffs enough. You know what I mean? Like the ideas that are sometimes assigned to things like MVP where certain, I mean, I get it. Certain awards come with, they just mean more and MVP means more than anything. And so with coach of the year though, you can rest easy at night. I don't really care if Tibbs ever advances in the playoffs. Like I think, you know, he deserves some votes this year. It's just, the reality of it is certain awards are, are viewed differently. Yeah. And, you know, like it helps to win coach of the year, but at the end of the day, like the playoffs will define, you know, typically oh, yeah. a lot of coaches of the year the have been that fired. season that he won right. it. Right. Um, you know, I, Mike I Brown won it in Cleveland. Scotty Brooks won it in Oklahoma City. And yeah, Mike won it in Cleveland and then was out after the following season. Um, George George Carl won it and got fired. Dwayne Casey won it and got fired right away. Yeah. And in conclusion, here. the front office executives and owners do not care what we think. I think that's pretty evident. All right, let's talk most improved player as we wrap up here. We we, we had Slater and Katz both pick a non-MVP award that they uh, was of most interest to them. Uh, Slater, what are you thinking on MIP? Well, it seems to be, you know, and this is the award, as, as Fred has talked about plenty, that it's just like the field is always much wider. But I don't know. I feel like this year it's pretty condensed. I mean, Laurie Markkinen, I think, is the favorite probably, at least in my opinion. I'd probably pick him. Um, Brunson is, is a candidate. You know, he's been given the bigger role, and as Fred just mentioned, he's kind of, elevated into a level of or uh, to a tier that nobody thought he could reach Tyrese Halliburton is probably the considered the more traditional candidate right he makes the young career leap um, into all-star status so uh, I don't I mean I don't have any grand um, deep dives into it but uh, I I like Mark in its case more than anybody else he was a throw-in in the Donovan Mitchell trade that seemed to be like hey they might just bounce him to another team and pretty quickly became their franchise player like he's probably going to get maxed out he was untouchable at the deadline according to basically all accounts and I just I think he's the unlikeliest of these stories and I think I, he'd be my most improved player no, I like that. I, I, you know, the Halliburton one, his injury stuff. We'll see if that impacts voting. He's he's uh, he's only played fifty four games. Um, I like the idea that it's not a second or third year guy this time around. You know, Lowry's uh, in his fifth year. I just had that in front of me. Brunson, maybe I have it backwards. What year is Brunson, Fred? Brunson's in his fifth year. Yeah, Brunson's fifth. Lowry is sixth, and you see major major jumps now with Lowry. Obviously, a, a scene change or a scenery change going from Cleveland to Utah. The Brunson one, 
I mean, I, I don't know who I would vote for at this point. You know, maybe Lowry by a hair, but um, but Brunson's is. I mean, the narrative is pretty great too. You leave Dallas where they didn't think you were, you know, worth paying this kind of money to put next to Luca because they needed somebody apparently, you know, more special or at least you know that was the 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 vibe when they were trying to to uh, potentially do an extension that where they could have gotten in for a much lower number. Um, and you talk about that coming back to bite you uh, in his fifth year. You know, he jumps from eighteen point three points last season to twenty three point eight. You know, uh, and still efficient along the way. Um, pretty big uptick in his three point shooting percentage wise and volume wise. You know, those two guys, I think are, are probably my choice. top two. Uh, a great Halliburton from there. I think I would probably vote for him, but I'm a little conflicted because how do we feel about a guy who was improved, but not improved enough to be like on the leaderboard for MIP, then change teams and then is doing since changing teams, playing at a level that would definitely win him MIP if he did it over the course of a season. Because that's what's happened with Mikael Bridges. And I don't know how to evaluate him in the context of MIP voting. Because Mikael sure. Bridges was, first of all, it's hard to tell right. how much of it is exactly... <laughs> It's, Most improved it's, within it's hard same to tell a little bit how much of, of Bridges' yeah. production with Brooklyn has to do with opportunity versus actual improvement. Because in Phoenix... Is that hard to tell, though? I don't think it is because it's, it's literally one day well, to the next. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. He went to the, to the Nets. And no, like, for sure. The, he for didn't sure. Just when I, work on his game I mean from, from last trade, year to like, this year. Because nice. ultimately, we're not... Yeah. We're doing how much he improved from last year. And it's hard to tell if this improvement came over the summer or if this improvement was before and it was how he was right. being used. Like it's it's just kind of difficult. And there's a little bit of that element in Jalen Brunson's argument as well, right? Because you look at the numbers of Brunson had when Luca was off the floor in Dallas and he was averaging like 22 points per 36 minutes on really good efficiency. And you see how Brunson played when Luca got hurt in the playoffs and Brunson was, you know, roasting Utah and had a really good series against against Phoenix after that. So like there's a little bit of that element too. Even with with Halliburton as well, where after the trade last year, Halliburton played great for the Pacers. Uh and then he ticked it up a little bit this year, but we saw that leap when he went to Indiana in the middle of last season. So I don't know. I mean, Mikael Bridges in 16 games of Brooklyn, 26 points a game, 50 from the field, 44 from three. Uh, he's got a 57% effective field goal percentage, which is excellent uh, on, on that sort of usage. It, it's just, I'm not arguing it should be him. I think I would probably vote for Markkanen. I'm just saying he, he's kind of a unique MIP case. I'm just disappointed. He's He's very unique. This is worth spotlighting, highlighting, but Fred... Did you not come into this week's podcast saying that that you were the one who wanted to give a little love to the OKC Thunder? And we've gotten way too deep into this conversation without talking about young Shea Gilgis Alexander, who, before you respond, is for all intents and purposes like the Ja Morant pick of this year. If because last year when Ja won it, there was some spirited debate about how was he already too good to be in the running. LeBron even tweeted about it that you know that Josh should not be in that race because he's a star. Uh but I mean it's still when you're talking about year number 5, Shea goes from 
24.5 points to 31.4. I voted for Ja, and I, I do. I just see that jump differently. Like there, there's no <laughs> that jump is not guaranteed. You know, nobody last year was saying, "Oh, it'll be fun to watch Shea go from you know from a high level All Star caliber scorer to an MVP caliber yeah, scorer from one year to the next." He's an amazing. Uh, player. You know, Shea is in this conversation for sure. I think. I, I it's a good point. Yeah, I mean, I. Before the season, I would have said the Thunder are still searching for their, you know, 1A for the next era, right? Could it be Chet? You know, is it a future draft pick? You know, like Shea is a great piece, but he's not, you know, your pillar for a contender. Right. Now he isn't is. Shea, right, isn't right, right, Shea you know, the 1B that is to Jalen Williams? large, large leap. No doubt. Jalen Williams, number number. Nah, see, Jaylen Sam Williams is trying is, to get us into a rookie has of the year conversation. We, past we don't need that. Ben Matherin to number two in rookie of the year. Oklahoma City Thunder fifth in net rating since January first. Right. It's more than take. two and a half months. That team, that team's dangerous. He's coming with stats today, Sam. Get us he out of is. here before he dies. He right, well, I'm going to tie a bow. You, you missed your shot at the OKC segment. You just let it fly right by. You're talking about Mikhail Bridges. <laughs> Mikhail Bridges, Bridges was thing, for five minutes. The Bridges Let's thing give him the MIP is, award. <laughs> I can't remember the last time we saw something. I'm going to tie a bow like on one. it. No, this is why I love the pod. It's good to give it some shine. And this yep. is the New York classic, media, classic, classic New York, New York media. media. <laughs> Elbridge has never played a game Nets. before he showed up in Brooklyn. When when yeah. when half of the papers don't have Nets beat writers. That's right. That's right. All right. Let me um, let me tie a bow on it like this uh, to go full circle with an MVP tie-in. Uh, I had a delightful couple of conversations last week with. Uh, Thanasis Antetokounmpo uh, while I was around the Bucks, and we were talking about Giannis and I was admittedly at one point bringing up the MVP conversation and kind of getting perspective on his brother and his state of mind these days. What I thought was great, it'll never happen, but I thought was great, was he shared a conversation about how he and his brother, they'll talk about what's next for Giannis and what he should be gunning for. And, uh, and he wasn't really trying to be funny. Again, I don't think this will happen, but apparently they've talked extensively about how the ultimate kind of award honor that he would love to get at some point in his career is to already be a two-time, maybe about to be three-time MVP, a one-time champion, could be a two-time champion this season, but to win the Most Improved Player Award at this status that he's he's decided like that, that he wants to find a way to be the most improved player. So I don't see it happening, but you know, shout out to, to players trying to be greater and trying to push. I thought that was kind of a, a cool little anecdote. A heartwarming end to another podcast. <laughs> Sam Amick, take us out. <laughs> That's it, gentlemen. I appreciate you. Thank you, as always, to the listeners. Uh, we did not get to all the awards, no, but we got no. to a lot, and, and Fred survived. You no. okay, Fred? That was a long MVP discussion. You all right, buddy? <laughs> grumpy edgy new york media for you all right thanks everybody see you